0: Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. I'm Chris Danielson. My best friend and bride, Emily's out today. It's Wednesday, long-form teaching, and we're going to go to my message from last Sunday at Lifehouse Church in Abilene, Kansas. The message was entitled, What Time Is It? I used multiple scriptures throughout the message, but we start with 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. Thank you for hanging out with us on No Apology with the Bible Idiots, long-form teaching Wednesday want to start by telling you uh, a little bit about what brought me to this point. And when you think about what time it is, and we're going to look at that today, and this is the third part of a three-part message. The first message was, who are you? And the second one was, who are we? And today, it's what time is it? So I ask you, Do you know what time it is in your life? I remember in 2008 when my dad was in hospice care. He knew what time it was. He knew his days were numbered, very numbered. And when you are around something like that, you see it. But then how about when somebody, oh, they're driving along and boom, their time to be called home to the Lord is right now. Are they ready? When we were doing radio, we used to get all these weird, wacky stories, and one of them was a story about an eagle they think it's an eagle they believe it was a big bird a lot of investigation to figure out how this happened but it had somehow picked up a log that was probably like 12 13 pounds and was flying at about eight nine hundred feet maybe a thousand feet when its talons let go of this log and this young couple had been married and this, this happened in oregon this young couple had been married about 30 days and they're driving along on a beautiful sunny day. And all of a sudden, this log comes right through the windshield and kills them both. And no one can figure out how it happened. And that's the story that they believe happened. The point is, is as we go through the message today, I want you to have a paradigm shift. I want you to start thinking not like you normally do. I want you to think in, ta- in terms of Jesus' calling on your life. Because if we want to look at end times prophecy, which we're going to over the next couple of weeks. Now, I'm on a staycation next week. I'm around for you if you have a need. Um, but Jason Ryan will be here next Sunday to preach. And he's the young man that was here during one of our testimony times. Um, that is now in training to be the associate pastor at Crossroads in Salina. So I'm excited for him to share with you guys next week. I will be back two weeks from today. And we're going to talk about Jesus' return. And in that paradigm shift that I want you to have, I want you to understand that if we're called home today, that's when Jesus is returning for us, isn't it? You know, I think about um, the former Los Angeles Dodgers baseball pitcher. His name was Frank. can't remember his last name right now, and I don't want to mispronounce it. But Frank... Uh, was uh, 10 years after his Dodger career. He was on KKLA, 99.9 in LA, Christian Talk Radio. How do I know this? Because we were the finalists for Frank's job. Frank went to a women's conference, a women's luncheon, and he was the keynote speaker, and he had to get back for his afternoon talk show, and he rode a motorcycle, and he said, look, many of you know I ride a motorcycle. He said, if I go out here on the 210 uh, after this message, and I get splattered all over, know that I'm still alive, that I'll be alive with Jesus forever. And he literally got on his motorcycle 10 minutes later, got taken out by a semi. Tragic for us, for us that appreciated his radio career, who appreciated him as a man of God, but glorious for him, because now he was standing in the presence of Jesus. You don't know what the future is going to be. So, I think of the movie Castaway, and I think about what are we doing here at the church as we try to put strategic plans in place, as our giving's down, as we're looking at this, as we're looking at that. In the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks' character basically said this He said, The tide brought me in a sail. And that's how he used that restroom from the airplane wreckage, the, the little thing that he made into a sail. And he said, you never know what the tide's going to bring in. And we never know what the tide's going to bring in here at Lifehouse, but we will be prepared to know what time it is, and we're going to be prepared to feed the sheep. And there's a, there's a, a thing I want to share with you about sermons and messages, but at the end of the day, the living, the, you know, the life-giving living water, the bread of life, well, a good pastor will mix those together And as a friend of mine says, he said, I bake fresh bread for my people every week. I don't recycle sermons. I bake fresh bread. My people get fresh bread. You follow the train of thought? I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to wait on what the tide brings in every Sunday, and we're going to have that furnace room to pray for it. And I'm going to bake fresh bread for you every week. And together, we're going to serve Jesus with the time that we've got. See, there was a doomsday clock that was, in, that was put into place in 1947. This doomsday clock in 1947 was because of the nuclear activity that was going around that we were right next to doomsday. That clock has been adjusted 24 times since 1947. The longest time to midnight on that doomsday clock was 17 minutes. That was in 1991. Right now, in 2020 and 2021... They've got it at 100 seconds before midnight because of the political turmoil all around the globe. And a lot of that might be just India and Pakistan. A lot of that might be Afghanistan. A lot of that might be, you know, whatever the reason be. The point is, is that, that even the doomsday clock thinks that the end might be near. And they're talking about, you know, China just yesterday tested a supersonic missile. Russia, Russia tested one a couple years ago. So... Again, my message is not that long today, but it's got some deep scriptures in it. And so I'm going to ask you to do something right now. And the idea of what the tide comes in and the idea of what time is it, and in the idea of we're going to set our clock to, what, 10 seconds before midnight, and we're going to live like that, anticipating Jesus' return and giving him everything that we have. I'm going to ask you to do something. And I know that I'm going to tick somebody off by asking this. But I'm looking around, and I'm seeing people sitting in almost the exact same spot they've been at for 60 weeks. I'm going to ask you to take 60 seconds and flip your, flip your perspective today. Find a different chair. The only one that can move one seat is Christian Orr. We have an agreement. That's, that's a different thing. He can shift one chair over, but even Christian... I mean, Wednesday night, he had to move over here. So come on, everybody get up and just find a different perspective for the 25-minute 20, sermon today. Pam, come on. Other side. Other side. Other side. Do the other side. Just do something different. Just take a minute. Come on. I got a whole new congregation. <laughs> and look, and people moved up front. We got to do this every Sunday. All right. I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again to start just so we get the perspective. There are really three different types of sermons. I say four, but there's three different types of sermons or messages or whatever you want to call it. The first is expository. What an expository sermon is, is that you take a group of verses or a small text, and you go line by line, verse by verse, and you just pull out everything that's there. That is a tremendous way to preach God's Word. I think that there are some really great benefits to that. I've also found that depending on what the text is, for somewhat new Christians or baby Christians, that might not be the best. Sometimes they get more out of what I call a topical sermon. And when I I say I call, everybody calls it a topical sermon. Let's do a sermon on prayer. And so we'll get these 10 different verses about prayer. Let's do a sermon on faith. And we'll take David and Goliath and the five stones, F-A-I-T-H, and do topical type sermons like that. The next is textual, where you take a text and it's different than expository in that the text by itself kind of stands on its own without going verse by verse. A textual sermon, which would be what we did last week, which was, who are we? We had the one text out of 1 Corinthians, and that was kind of our standard, but we didn't go back to it line by line. Make sense? And then the fourth, which I call, and a lot of people don't recognize this, but I do because I know the power of it, it's storytelling. When you do storytelling messages, it is, to me, the most impactful way to teach that God created humans to have. Who was one of the best storytellers in history? They call them parables our Lord, right? He taught by using stories. And then when we would pass down traditions generation after generation after generation, we would do it with stories. And so as preaching kind of evolved from the doomsday clock in 1947 to 2021, you've got all different kinds of things that have happened. Some guys would stand in the box. You remember the big box, you know, where there'd be these little stairs you'd walk up. I... I got to preach in a couple of those pulpits in bigger cathedrals. It's pretty cool, you know, for the preacher. I don't know what it's like for everybody sitting out there. Mm-hmm. But you walk up and you stand in the box, and it's just kind of cool. And then you've got, uh, you know, moving, moving forward, we've gotten into more. Um, we want a dynamic communicator. We want a guy who doesn't stand behind the pulpit, who just walks around and shares his thoughts. Cool guy. Yeah. Oh, he's got a dress hip, too. <laughs> And these guys would come prepared. They wouldn't have Laura Simmons make them change into a t-shirt. <laughs> so, it's, so it's everything around the word of God to try to create results. And it all comes back to the scripture justif- justifying the big point. And see, a lot of times that turns into three points in a prayer and you know we've got these outlines and 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 I use a lot of outlines from other people that's I'm not smart enough to have every single point start with the first letter as you guys are used to I, I lift those from people I got to be honest, not all of them but sometimes or if you guys will notice like on the if it's like three points and the third point has a word that starts with the letter C because the other ones did, but you know there's twenty words better than that one, that's just me trying too hard you know just trying to be that pastor guy. So you put all of this together and you've got all these different kind of walks of life. And let me tell you something. I like to plant right here because, and I you try to use manuscripts to keep you guys on track because of what I've seen we need. And you go back to who are you and who we are. And now we're going to look at what time it is. I think that that's where I can give you the fresh bread. And I think you can get that in your life groups, and I think you can get that in your own personal devotion. And that's why I wanted you to have a fresh perspective today. See, I've got scriptures coming to you over the next 20 minutes that could easily be a dozen sermons, easily. Expository alone could probably do 30. But in this time, in this new perspective, I just want you to absorb God's word. And we only have one point at the bottom of your notes today. And that point is based on all the scriptures that we're going to look at. Fair enough? All right, here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits And teaching of demons, though the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Do you know what Paul's talking about there? He's talking about people preaching the Word of God. He's not talking about the doctrine of demons that you're going to find out in the world. He's talking about that there are people that will be in the so called church who are literally because their conscience is seared, they're doing it for whatever reason, they're teaching a doctrine of demons. A lot of theological debate about the doctrine of demons, but I can summarize it for you with this one point. Anything that teaches that you need more than just Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and his victory over death, hell, and the grave with the resurrection, anything other than that is a doctrine of demon. See, what the devil wants to do is he wants to counterfeit things. He wants to take your authentic faith in Jesus Christ and counterfeit it, which is why our flesh nature always says, we love Jesus, we've surrendered to Jesus, but we got to add this and add that to try to, no, it's not a good old fashioned gratitude we add this and add that. We serve Jesus with everything we have because of his death and resurrection and his gift to us to present us before a holy God as if we've never sinned. Matthew 24, 9 through 13 says this, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will be increased The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. A couple things in there I want to point out. They are already delivering up our brothers and sisters around the globe in big, big ways. And they want to deliver us up here, and they're not even hiding it anymore. It's not conspiracy theory. All you got to do is look hard. And then we start to see that people are going to fall away and betray one another and hate one another. They're not talking about the world. They're talking about people in the church, people who have a sense of faith, people who know who Jesus is. Their love's going to grow cold and they're going to start to betray each other. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That is not a political movement. That is not um, something from the world. You know, that, that is not the, the latest person that is on MTV, or whatever the case might be, this is people in the church will rise up and lead many astray. And we are seeing lawlessness abound. We're seeing it just abound. One of the turning points for me in wanting to be a preacher and nothing else, and it has to be a preacher first, and I'll go wherever God sends me, and he sent me here, and I'm here, is when Congress did a sit-in. Our lawmakers did a sit-in to oppose the laws. That was like three and a half years ago. Four years ago. See, in this passage of Matthew 24, it says many will fall away. False prophets will lead many astray. You see the lawlessness happening. What's really going on here? The Bible is clear on those who fall away. It it, it goes to show that most of them, if not all of them, never really knew the Lord in the first place. Do you remember from two weeks ago the three types? When I said, Who are you? Remember the three types the natural, the spiritual, and the carnal? And the carnal Christian, I'm not here to debate whether they're once saved, always saved. I'm not here to debate whether they get in the kingdom of God or not. That's not my pay grade. But I will tell you this, the carnal believer is who Paul was talking about, who had made a profession of faith, but their flesh nature controls their behavior. That's why we have to have grace and forgiveness. Get it? See, lawlessness, love growing cold. Anybody notice anything, uh, you know, in the once free and... God-fearing nation of America going on? Let's go to Mark, 17, Mark 4, 17. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. Key word, immediately. And Seth, you didn't even have my notes. <laughs> Guys couldn't hear it back there, but he said immediately before I did. <laughs> yeah, they, they have no root. They have no root. And when we talk about baby Christians drinking milk and then getting on solid food, that's the importance of fresh bread. That's the importance of feed my lambs. That's the importance of love God, love others, be the church. Lifehouse will be here and people who come through the door, whoever they may be, we want to feed them good, good food, fresh food. And let them try to take root. Why? Because when it says tribulation here, they're not, you know, it it, it means tribulation, yes. But it also, think about the people that any kind of conflict rises up and they bail on the church. Or they bail on their friends. You know, I'm thinking on a national scale now. I'm thinking on people that sometimes in the the highest part of Christian industry. Everything needs to be rainbows and llamas. Everything needs to be cool and smooth. Otherwise, God, you know, surely God's against us. And they, they just cause problems. And when it says fall away here, sometimes we think that, well, person's just going to go away. No. When they fall away, the only way that they feel even a little skosh better about themselves is if they can take other people with them. 1 John 2.19 says this, and all these are listed in your notes, just so you know. They went out from us, but they were not of us. In other words, we hung out together and we all started doing the work together. We were going out doing the work, but they weren't really one of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and then here it is, look at this. That it might become plain that they were not, that they all are not of us. Look, I I think of a couple musicians, number one songs, and now they've turned their back on the faith. Now they've tried to marry Christianity with the things of the world. They're not of us. They're not of us. And you can see it. God will give you discernment when you have root, you will be able to see it as plain as day. You know what the truth is. You know what the world is telling you you have to be, and you know what ain't right. And so then you need to stand firm. And when you stand firm, what makes it easier? Others. Others that are like-minded standing firm together. Think back to Matthew 24, the verses that says endure to the end, will be saved. This means it's wise to identify who is of us, right? New believers, regular attenders, covenant partners. There's a lot of people of us. You don't have to be a covenant partner to be of us. I got five different people right now that two of them, I'm almost positive, will never be covenant partners because it just doesn't fit. And I don't want to get into the details, but God bless them, I want them here. I want them here as regular attenders, and they want to be here as regular attenders. They just can't make that extra commitment to covenant partners. They're still of us, follow? But the covenant partners... The ones who take that vow, that's us. Anybody who walks in here that claims Jesus Christ as their Savior is of us until proven otherwise. And we will be there for them. But I have made it no secret that I desire covenant partnerships. I did marriage ministry for 10 years. I sit on the board of a marriage ministry based out of Michigan right now and it's called Design to Thrive. Covenant partnerships is marriage and I love good marriages and I love to see everybody have a good marriage. So what time is it then? If this is what we're seeing and this is who we've identified who we are, what time is it? Think about it. Let's take a look at some incredible warnings in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. It says, take care, brothers. It could say, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. You can come to church. You can be a part of it. You can have all of this, but you can have an evil, unbelieving heart. But exhort one another every day. Encourage one another. Get in the face of each other joyfully and lovingly, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In verse 13, it says, every day. And then he has a, a little caveat, as long as it's called today. So any day that you're living in that's called today, you want to encourage each other. And we have come to share in Christ and we hold on tight to our original confidence firm to the end. What time is it? Oh, when it gets really bad, I'm going to go all in with Jesus. What time is it? Those who fall away, most of them have never had a place in Christ and they were not his. They never really transferred that trust and, and went all in with Christ. Catch the theme today. New paradigm. Hold tight. Stand firm, falling away, lawlessness, love growing cold, hardened by sin. John 10, 27 through 30. I have made this quote from this pulpit in the 70 weeks I've been here just on a, on a whim. Just, I just say it like y'all are supposed to know it. And some of you don't know it. Well, here it is. If you need to know where it is, it's right here. My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus talking. This is red letters. And I know them, and they follow me. I'm not a co-pilot. I'm not around for advice. I'm their Lord and master. They hear my voice, and they follow. Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And because of that, we can chill. We don't have to get all worked up about this stuff. People who come through the door, we feed the sheep. We love them. And together we lock arms in a covenant to stand firm. What else you got going on? Don't need anything else. That's it. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. We are locked in secure. And then Jesus makes his claim of being God. I and the Father are one in verse 30. Joy regardless. Joy regardless. Emily and I had a nice little battle royale yesterday. And because she can't answer right now, I'm going to say she was really wrong. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and so, yeah, there was shouting. Yeah, we and uh, it was a, a communication disagreement on how to try to fix a little leak that we have in some of the pipes in our house. Do I still have flex steel in my hair? I, <laughs> <laughs> For those of you on video that can't hear Emily said, he did a great job. (laughs) (laughs) But the forgiveness was quick. The joy returned. Because there's no point in holding on in a covenant relationship when you understand that I hear the voice of the Lord and this is stupid and I'm being stupid and you're being stupid and together we can just let this go and we can just get back to what we were doing and do our very best. That's hearing the voice and we follow him. Oh, there is a time when the human being called by God must confront evil and we must do intentional things to help push back the darkness. But if you look at the scriptures and you hear the voice of the shepherd, when ever possible, we need to err on the side of mercy, on the side of forgiveness, and on the side of unconditional love because he first loved us, and this isn't all there is. What time is it? For, I use this phrase a lot. If we're all standing in front of Jesus in 15 minutes, how important was pff, this bill, that person's bad mouth? This problem. We follow him. And then there's the point of timing in all the scriptures I've given you today. Some will depart. Paul tells us in the last days that people are going to depart. So when are the last days? The last days or the last time or the last hour as found in scripture is the span of time between our Lord's first and second coming. We are right in the middle of the last days. No matter how you slice it. And I just explained to you that life is fragile and that our last days could be any time. So we always must be looking for his return. In his grip, we wait with anticipation. 1 John 2.18, it says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Another way to translate that is, Quit looking for the Antichrist. They're going to be everywhere. And the big guy, the big Antichrist that's coming is going to be here real soon. But we don't look for that. We focus our eyes on Jesus. We hear his voice. We follow him. When is your return? Is your return today, Lord? Can your return come before the Vikings lose another game? Can your return come before, you know, Thanksgiving this year? Can your return come soon? The sheep are looking for the return of Jesus. Look, there is something being constructed right now in Abu Dhabi. And it is the One World Religion Headquarters. They have three buildings constructed. The Pope and the big Imam signed off on it together. They have a temple, they have a church, and they have a mosque that are being built on this little triangle area And they literally are calling it the one world religion. Coexist, baby. Come on. Let's all coexist together. There's a word for that. And it's not popular. But the little phrase of the words for that is doctrine of demons. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Christ. We don't look for the Antichrist. If anything you are looking at the Antichrist for... Let it be something that'll send you back to looking for Jesus' return, because that's the point. First Peter 1:20 says, "He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you." Going back to Paul's warning to Timothy that I started with today, this is the apostasy that will happen that is happening now. So don't be discouraged when it does. It's a given. It's going to take place. Now, how we respond as Christ people, as servants, is the key. One of the responses that I have made to this, because, you know, this is something that, that isn't new, okay? This is something that's been building, and you've been seeing it. And I remember in 2012, I gathered my family together at Christmas time. And we talked about the fact that if there was a Mayflower going to a new place, we'd be on it. But maybe the Lord would give us a blessing. And we got a blessing from 2016 to 2020. And in that time, we saw the evil just attack life. Attack life. This isn't about politics, by the way. This is about foundational principles. And I'm going to say something now that might be political, but I, and if you dislike this, come talk to me. I'd love to have the conversation with you. But the Trump administration was about life. Tons of evidence about it. And the Biden administration is about death. And there's tons of evidence to back that up. What time is it? How we respond is the key. My response was in prayer, going to Jesus, saying, Lord, where do you want me? What can we do? If it can be your will, Lord, I would love to go to rural America. And I'd love to covenant with some, a small group of believers that will stand firm to the end. Where do you want me to go, Lord? And he said, Abilene, Kansas. Lifehouse Church. Here we are so the (laughs) two of you great (laughs) i joke i'm sorry that's the stand-up comedy coming out listen so how does this all take place paul tells us the lying spirit seduces these people demons seduce them through false teaching And it becomes very clear that false teachers in these days are spokesmen for demons. Just like the demon who seduces through idolatry. So the false teacher seduces through lies and deception. And sadly, this is happening in the churches today. One more thing. Did you catch the contrast between the Holy Spirit who tells us what will happen and the deceitful spirits who speak to the lost? God's Spirit tells God's people the truth because we listen to Him through the Word of God. One more to emphasize this point, John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Test the spirits, the scripture says. You want an easy test? When you know the spirit of God is speaking to you, there will be something that will happen in the midst of even getting bad news. And that is a, it's, it's a peace. And I have a phrase for it. It's called, it is well with you. You don't know why. But the Spirit's speaking to you, and it's, it's just well with you. So let's allow the Spirit to speak to us through the Word and through prayer. The only point you have to fill in the blanks in your notes is right now. Here it is. Ready? The time is, the time to go all in is now. The time to go all in is now. And how do you do that? Couple suggestions. The six rhythms of discipleship. This piece of paper is at the welcome desk. Pick it up. Discipleship is not a box, it's a rhythm that you just kind of live in. You just get into this rhythm. And how do you know that you're living in the rhythm? How does that music of the rhythm of discipleship get louder? It gets louder as you grow stronger. And as you grow stronger in the Lord, you want to know the story. You want to celebrate. You want to listen. You want to bless. You want to eat with other Christians. And you want to create and recreate. That's one of the ways we're going to do that. And what what is the uh, vehicle that you want to implement this in? Authentic small groups. Authentic life groups. That's how we do it. And all in is... Committing to a gathering as regular attenders, as called by the Lord. Or as a covenant partner, as called by the Lord. All in, as in now, is the time to commit to the discipline of prayer. Deeper than you have done in the past. Well, when the clock gets close to midnight, I'll go all in. It's there. As in, now is the time to grab on to God's word and hold tightly to the promises of God. Genesis 32, 24 and following tells the story of when Jacob wrestled with God. Now, I want to set the scene for you, and you can look at this later. But the storm was coming. What was the storm? The storm was Esau, his brother was coming. And he had already lived through the storms of Laban and of Mary and his two daughters, Leah and Rachel. From Genesis 27, when he steals the birthright of Esau, even though Esau had given it to him for the bowl of stew, remember, he still had to deceive to get it, where you know Isaac was blessing his sons. From that moment in in Genesis 27 for Jacob, it is storm after storm after storm. And in 32:24, the Lord appears to him after he had stripped away all of his family and all of his possessions and sent them to the other side of the river. See, Esau was coming with 400 men and Jacob thought for sure it was for his demise. So after all of these storms, it's just amazing what Jacob lived through and what he suffered through and, what he, and how he was successful through it all. And so he keeps sending gifts to Esau, sending him stuff because he knows that he's on his way. And he gets to the river. He takes all of his possessions, all of his family, he puts them on the other side, and he's left on this bank waiting for Esau to come and execute justice. Because 400 of Esau men and Esau are coming right at him. And then the Lord appears to Jacob that night. But when he's all alone, And what does Jacob do? He grabs on tight. He holds on all night. He won't let go until Jacob receives the blessing from God. He held on to the point that the Lord broke his hip. Think on that. That is intentionality for the blessing of God at the highest level. Jacob was at death door with a brother who he had to trick to collect the the inheritance bearing down on him with 400 men, send all of his money away, sends his family away, sends all of his, his possessions. And this is one of the greatest portraits in all of Scripture of what it's like to go all in with God. The message, the only hope is that God blesses me in this situation. That's Jacob's example for us. His only hope, he would not let him go till he got the blessing. Now, circumstances in our world as I close today may not look like what it should look. It may not look and feel like you and I perceive the way it's supposed to be. But when you and I hold on till the break of a new day, we will know that the Lord is with us and that is all we need. See, Jacob held on till the dawn. And when daybreak happened, the Lord blessed him. He held on all night till the break of day, holding on till the break of dawn. Uh, The break of dawn for us is what? It's the return of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I ask you, if you know what time it really is, are you going to grab on? And are you going to hold tight for such a time as this? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so humbled in your presence. We want nothing but you. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need your insights. And we want to hear your voice. Strengthen us. Let us grow as you hold us in your grip. Be with us now for whatever our calling is, whatever we need to do as a church, whatever we need to do as believers, and whatever we need to do as individuals in our each unique situation. Let it be to your glory and for fruit for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661 Abilene, Kansas 67410 or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.